Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I talk all about kidnapping. It was a real threat for me when I was traveling around Africa. And I talk with an expert about kidnapping, about what to do to avoid it in the first place, and what to do if you're actually kidnapped. It's a one and a half hour podcast, very detailed, very useful, very practical. And so you'll want to learn about it some more. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Tour Radar. If you are looking to do a life-changing travel adventure, but you either hate planning and you don't know where to start, Tour Radar is a trusted online marketplace that helps you find, compare, and book multi-day tours that will expand your horizons through life-enriching travel experiences. Just type in the region you've always wanted to visit or your preferred travel style, and Tour Radar will do the rest. And right now, WanderLearn listeners can visit Tour Radar for a chance to win an amazing travel contest. Every month, there's a new contest. Enter to win at tourradar.com slash wanderlearn. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. In this episode, I have Olaf Ofstad, who is the author of Surviving Kidnappers, Precautions, Influence, Strategic Tools. Welcome, Olaf. Thank you. You are coming in from Delhi, or is it Delhi or somewhere in India? No, it's Delhi. It's Delhi. Are you there primarily because Delhi is not known for its kidnapping? <laughs> I'm here because of my wife, who's Indian. So we split our time between Norway and India. You wrote this excellent, informative, and practical book about how to avoid getting kidnapped and what to do if you are kidnapped. And I was very interested in it because I went to places that are kind of known for their kidnapping. I went to all 54 African countries, and probably about at least five of them are known for being a bit insecure. And Tell us, just to start us all off, give us a kidnapping story with a happy ending, which illustrates what the captives did right. My favorite kidnap victims, to call him that, is a French guy called François Bizot. He was taken by Khmer Rouge in Cambodia in 1974, and uh, he describes um, his ordeals and that event in the book called The Gate. And um, what makes him interesting is that um, he was under the control of a man called Dush, also termed um, Khmer Rouge's worst torturer. And he managed to win this man over to such an extent that Dush became his protector or advocate. Um, who helped him when other senior members uh, wanted to kill him later on. So Dush saved him and he was, uh, he, was, he was able to escape alive. He was released alive. Kidnapping is a lot of psychological games behind it. And if you know how to get the upper hand, it can make a big difference. So give us an illustration of a tragic kidnapping story to illustrate what the captives did wrong. That's a little more tricky um, because the sad stories are rarely described in literature and the sad stories doesn't end up, in, end up with a release. The, um, the victim simply disappears or the body is found, found somewhere afterwards. I've heard of many attempts where people go in and to try to save the captors and save the kidnapping victims, and then in the process kill the kidnappers as well. And the kidnappers either kill the victims or the kid the the victims get caught in the crossfire. Anyway, they die. Yeah, that's right. But um, but that's uh, normally not about so much uh, what the kidnappers, what the captives did wrong. It's it's just. Uh, it's, 
an unfortunate development that they cannot cannot control, if you like. What motivated you to write this book, Surviving Kidnappers? Because I imagine you've never been kidnapped. No, I've never been kidnapped. Um, the closest I was was once in um, Kenya, in Nairobi, I think, where there was this guy who knocked the mirror, side mirror of our car and ran off with it. And um, the uh, intention might have been to get me out of the car and get me to follow him. Um, in which case I would probably face someone with a knife around the corner. And um, yeah, that could have been a kidnapping effort. Otherwise, I've never been kidnapped myself. But uh, no, why did I write it? It started with a book I wrote for the Norwegian army many years ago. That was uh, conflict management for military personnel in peace operations. And when I did that, they asked me if I could do a chapter on kidnapping survival. And that was the beginning that took me into it. And, um, but if you wanted to hear about mistakes kidnap victims do, I could give you a few, even if it didn't, didn't end um, with uh, loss of life necessarily. Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Right. Now, you know, kidnapping normally um, consists of different phases. You have the attack or the assault. You have the logistics phase. And uh, you have the captivity phase. And finally, normally you have the release. And um, if we look at the attack phase, uh, there, are, yeah, there are many, many mistakes and blunders to be found in the literature on it. Uh, for instance, if we take a book of David Road, an excellent journalist who was captured by the Taliban in 2008, he explains or he tells in his book that when he was captured, he was crying, begging to be released. And he made promises as to, when, when he, that didn't work, he made promises as to what they could get out of, of his life, like millions of dollars, if they didn't kill him. And um, that caused problems for him. I mean, simply put, you never cry when you get captured. That, that's um, contrary to your interests, because... It can never help. It will never, you will never convince a kidnapper by crying. On the contrary, he will probably feel contempt and that's all. And you never make promises that could um, frustrate uh, effective negotiations uh, with your outside supporter afterwards. And indeed, the negotiations for their release became very, very complicated. That's one. Um, the name Captain Phillips would be well known to um, most people interested in kidnappings. And you may have watched the film. Right. I actually read the book as well. Right. And if you, if you did so, you will have noticed a couple of things that did not emerge particularly clearly in the film. Um, and by the way, uh, Captain Phillips is the, cap the U.S. captain of a ship that was captured by Somali pirates. Yeah, in 2009. And um, he admits in the book that uh, it was a mistake that he didn't order the, um, the crew to run to the citadel, this secure room on board the ship, early enough. That was one. And then there's this exchange um, of prisoners, if you like. Uh, you will recall that his crew were able to capture the kidnappers leader. So uh, the, um, the situation was set for an exchange 
And he missed that opportunity because when they were lowering the kidnappers in the lifeboat, uh, he came with them down to show them how they could get the boat started. And he didn't secure um, an exchange with, with the kidnappers, with, their, with the leader of the kidnappers. So he was stuck in that boat, and when he wanted to go up again, he was told that there's no deal. So, so that, was, that was why you got the whole following drama that is so well described in that movie. Um, moving on, um, in 1980 there was a guy, brave tough guy, ex-soldier, uh, Chris Moon, who was captured in Cambodia. There's a video about that on the net. And um, yeah, he was brave, but um, in this uh, situation he was um, the leader of a demining group and uh, they were suddenly assaulted by a Khmer Rouge gang. And he says in this movie that I had to take control. So um, one thing he does is that he reaches out his hand to shake hands with the leader of that gang. And that's a, in a very dramatic situation where they're screaming and shouting and, and brandishing guns all over the place. And of course, that man didn't take his hand. And um, as long as they were under his control, it seems they were in danger. Um, and uh, that there was some serious, some serious aggression from his side. And, of course, it was a major error because there's one thing you don't do in a situation like that is to try to take control from the kidnappers. Um, kidnappers have a firm intention of getting control over you. And any, any effort to or attempt to take control from them is a huge provocation and they're certainly not going to like you for it. Right, but at the same time, they, they will be gleefully happy to see you crying pitifully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then they are in control. <laughs> right, because then that reaffirms the fact that they're in control. But, um, but if you do so, uh, you, are, you are defining yourself as a victim, something you should never do. Let's talk a little bit about the things that we can do to, uh, before we're ever kidnapped. And one of those things that we can do is K&R insurance, otherwise known as kidnapping and ransom insurance. What, you didn't really talk about that much. If, I don't even remember you talking, mentioning it at all in the book. Maybe you did, but maybe I missed it. But what is your belief on kidnapping and ransom insurance? Is it worth it? And if so, how much should you get? Should you get a half a million dollars, a million dollar insurance? What, what, do, you, what do you suggest? No, it's, it's a tricky one because um, such an insurance may save your life. Uh, on the other hand, um, if the kidnappers get to know that you have such an insurance, or if they know that um, the kind of job you are, you would normally have one, um, they could be after you, could be hunting you to kidnap you for that very reason. And uh, also, the demands may become very high if, you know, if they know about such insurance. So um, it's, it's not an easy one. Personally, I would prefer to have an insurance if someone else paid for it. Otherwise, it might be a difficult assessment. Um, it would depend on 
what the level of risk would be and what the practice of the kidnappers in the actual area uh, would be, to call it that. So I don't think there is one, one simple answer to this. Uh, just to share my personal story uh, with regard to Africa, I looked and looked and very hard to try to find somebody who would give me kidnapping or ransom insurance because every single time I told them that I was going to be going to Libya and to South Sudan and to Somalia <laughs> and to these places and Niger and Chad, they would say like, okay, thank you, but no, thank you. We're not going to insure you. You're too high risk. And I was like, but I'm going over land uh, even more so. <laughs> you know? So it was it really, and I'm going to go climb the tallest mountain of every African country. And they're like, okay, definitely not. And finally, I found some sucker or somebody who was willing to take a chance and, and, and give me, I think, a half a million dollar insurance. And I took it mainly for my mother's sake. In other words, I just didn't want my mother to have to face, to be involved in negotiation. And one thing that at least they sold me on is this idea that they obviously don't, they lead up in the negotiations with the hostage takers, with the kidnappers. And they actually do the, they have professional negotiators and people who are used to getting people. And then, and of course it's in their best interest to get you out for the lowest amount of money they you might have a half a million dollar insurance but they're going to try to do it for maybe only 50,000 and the last thing i'll say is that um the one thing good is is that in africa at least the sub-saharan africa certainly is that the kidnappers i don't think are so sophisticated as to know that you will have kidnapping and ransom insurance especially if you're like some like somebody like me i'm not a high executive in a company i'm just an author and so they would highly doubt that I would have such, you know, they would, even if they Googled me, if they even have internet access, they would find out that they would, that I, I, I'm just an author and, and, and just a journalist and, and I'm not behind the New York Times or anything like that. I'm just a solo freelancer. And so they would, if they have half a brain and maybe they don't have half a brain, they would realize that it's, it's, uh, that I really don't have much money and I really can't give them much money, but they would never guess in a million years that I actually had kidnapping insurance. For my case, therefore, it kind of worked out for me. Even And, and in the end, I, of course, I didn't use it because I didn't get kidnapped. Right. So in your case, it was a matter of getting it or not. If my mom didn't exist, I didn't. I wouldn't have gotten it because I just thought, you know, this is a few thousand dollars. I th I can't remember the amount. I think it was like $3,000 per year. I can't remember the the exact number or maybe it's $3,000 for 3 years. I can't remember the 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 value for a half a million insurance, but um and in the end the the company is no longer offering it. So <laughs> I guess it's not profitable for them. Um maybe too many people did get cat caught um so Anyway, so uh, so your basic take is if your employer is offering kidnapping and ransom, obviously you'll be happy to take it, but would you write your own check to get it? Maybe not. Mm, not necessarily. I would assess the risk and uh, what would be the practices of all the kidnappers in the country or area that I'm going to. And uh, I, would, I would take it from there. Now, Olaf, I, what I want to go next is kind of like step by step. The things that you would do that, that a person who's listening to this can do to prevent from getting kidnapped, then what do they do at the moment of an assault? What about the transportation phase? And what do they do during the captivity phase? And so we're going to go step by step. So step number one, what can they do 
to not get kidnapped in the first place, because that's probably the most important thing at the beginning. Just summarize maybe like one or two of the key points. But for those who really want to know more, they should definitely see your book, because like you say, that you go meticulously through all the precautions against kidnapping. You talk about on the street, in the car, at the workplace, at the nightclubs, restaurants, at home, protecting children, traveling abroad, at sea, at air travel, That's right. <laughs> on and on. So you, you hit a lot of points. So, um, But we're not going to go over every single one of them, just just the general idea. For instance, I can, I can give you a piece from uh, walking, walking on the streets, um, which is a practical thing for most of us. And uh, at time... Most of us would find ourselves in areas we're not very comfortable with. It could be worst case where we live, but uh, more practical if you are traveling abroad. And um, so if you find yourself in an area where you know or believe it can be risky to walk on the streets, then what you do? Before you set out walking, um, you would do some preparations. Uh, if, if you know that this is a risky city, I mean, let's say you are in, staying in Mexico City, for instance, you would need to find, a little, find out a little about the city and about the area you're staying in. Um, have there been kidnappings in your area? If so, where in particular? Uh, what time of the day? What was the mode of attack? so that you have a background picture before you get out on the street at all. And um, when you decide to go out in an area which is dodgy, you should, as a rule, not do it alone if you can help it. Um, most kidnappers operate alone, and it's much more difficult to subdue two persons or three than one. What you said there is quite interesting. I had n- would have never guessed that most kidnappers operate alone. That sounds completely against my Hollywood image of a kidnapper. (laughs) Okay, okay. You know, a huge amount or percentage of of kidnappers are so-called predators, uh, meaning they're after women. And um, as a general thing, they operate alone. Sometimes more, but but very often alone. And um, yeah, so anyway, um, this given... It makes sense to be to go out more not alone, but to be more than one person, two, three, or whatever. The more, the better. Um, okay. Before you leave, you tell something where you are going. What more do you have to bring? At least one phone with you. My recommendation is that you bring two. Um, because if you get kidnapped, one of the first things that would happen is that the kidnapper takes the phone from you. If you have two, you can give him one of them and keep the other one, which should be a traceable one that has been linked up to some anchor or friend beforehand, and a phone that you hide on your person somewhere. That can become. What do you mean by what do you mean by linked up with some friend? I don't understand. I mean, that. Yeah, you have traceable phones, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. so there should be someone um, who has um, who has that you have arranged with beforehand that he or she can trace your phone, right? But is, is sorry when you say trace your phone, it's like I don't even know how to trace my wife's phone. I'm like I, I don't. Is there like a particular app that you have? Yeah, that's an app. Okay, it's an app that basically says I want to be able to stalk my 
my partner or anybody. Yeah. So and you and you set this up beforehand, some sort of app that that allows you to know where somebody is and uses the GPS in the smartphone yes. to figure out where that person is. Right. So you link up. So it can't. With, it, you link up with that other can, phone, so that person can. But be, it cannot be a dumb phone. It has to be a smartphone that has yeah, apps yeah. on it yeah, in yeah, order to yeah, do yeah. this. Absolutely. Okay. 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 It okay. has to. It has to. But that that could be a that can be a very very useful thing. Particularly if you if if you're able to hide it on you and you give away some um, some other phone that um, yeah that the kidnapper give the giving the kidnapper the impression that that's it and he's um, prevent you he's prevented you from communicating with the outside world. Um, so when I train people going to the Middle East, for instance, um, that is one thing I underscore: make sure you link up with someone who can trace your phone. Yeah, that's that's good advice. Need be um, if that person gets a phone call from you um, where you don't say anything, that means you need to be traced. That needs means to be that you need to be followed up. And and as stupid as it sounds, but I mean to remind people that you should make sure you charge that phone because I imagine some people have that spare phone and then they and they go for a month without charging it and then finally they get kidnapped and it's been discharged because they haven't used it for a month. Now, this this would be the phone that you normally use. Uh, but let's put it this way. When you go out in a dodgy area, you take another phone that you may not use much. Um, and, and whether that's charged or not, that would probably not matter much because that's, that's one is only for giving to the kidnappers, right? Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, I see. So you're keeping your main phone and you're giving them the phone that you... Right. I, I see what you're you're okay, got the main, uh-huh. the main phone, which is traceable. And also in that phone, you should have stored some important numbers, um, police, uh, friends, people who can help you, embassy, um, so that they're easily available in case you should need help urgently. Okay, furthermore, uh, if you go out, you should rather not be much influence of alcohol or medication. Uh, it goes without saying, perhaps. Um, and um, you, um, yeah, you don't bring a headset. Well, you can bring it as long as you keep it in your pocket, but you don't use it on the street. You should um, wear clothes that allows allow you to blend in among people, so that you don't stand out too much. Women should not wear high heels. Anyone should tie their laces tight. In a kidnapping situation, there could be need for a quick run to escape. Women should Good not, point. Yeah, women should not wear visible jewelry. They should not wear bags with long straps. Um, one should normally not bring a credit card, at least not with lots of money. Um, is the jewelry issue simply because people might kidnap you for your jewelry and you look just look rich, or is there some other thing about uh, yeah. being uh, caught up when they assault uh, you? Absolutely. I mean, rich people are always attractive. Mm. So that's an invitation. I don't uh, know. Donald Trump is not very attractive to me, and he's pretty rich. <laughs> yeah, well, if you walked around... Um, with um, fat gold chains in, in Chinatown in, in um, Beijing. I guess it would stand a chance of getting kidnapped. 
Um, it's, uh, okay. Um, no credit cards if you can avoid it. Um, if you have to... Wait, 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 wait. Why? Why no credit cards? What's the problem with credit cards? Um, yeah. Um, it happens that people are, are caught with credit cards. And when the kidnappers find out that there is money here, but there's a limit as to how much you can withdraw per day, they may might keep you for days to make sure they empty your account. So, I see. So, so but, yeah. but the problem is that many people can't travel without credit cards, especially more and more countries. I mean, I went through Africa for five years and I almost never used my credit card, but I still traveled with a credit card. I mean, most people didn't even know what a credit card was when I went to certain countries. Right. right. But, now, but, we're, uh, but we're those about, who travel in more. Yeah, go ahead. We're talking about the situation where you're walking out into a dodgy area, right? You would obviously. Ah, good point. Yeah. You would bring credit cards with you, but in that situation, you would leave the the real stuff in the hotel safe and you would bring a card with less money um, in your pocket when you go out. But, Good point. But cash is better. It shouldn't be so little that in, enrages the kidnappers, but, um, but that's normally a, a better thing. And then you have the issue of um, protection devices. Rape alarm is always good to, to bring, both for men and women. Um, some swear by pepper spray, electric stun guns, um, which may be problematic, subject to the laws of the country. Um, it's also a little problematic because unless you wear it in your hand all the time, it's not necessarily easy to use such devices. But um, if you get a chance of using them, it can, be, it can save your life. Another thing that, that's less dramatic is to bring a very, very strong flashlight of the kind that would blind an attacker um, for a few seconds, which may be enough to, to let you get away. So those are preparations. Then, you, then you're ready to get out. And, uh, and then... Yes. Okay. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So... And once you're out in the street? Once you're out, make sure you walk fast, determined. You look robust, you have a good posture, you don't look down, you send the signal that uh, I'm tough, I'm not easy to subdue. You don't, you don't want to be a victim, so you don't look like one, you look tough. By yeah. the way, that reminds me of one thing. I remember when I was in really crappy neighborhoods in Venezuela and Caracas, this was a few years ago, that I actually, and I need just to get to the subway, what I would do is I actually jog or run to the subway. I mean, not because, because first of all, I was just, it was, an, it was an unsafe neighborhood. And I thought to myself, you know what? If I'm jogging there, who the hell is going to run after me? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's going to take them a, a split second to even like identify like, hey, there's a gringo. And oh, well, he's already left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, they can't even stalk me. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, who would run after you? That's. Uh, I mean, the only downside, of course, is that people notice people who are running, and so everybody turns their head if you're just walking. But if you're already sitting out like a sore thumb, like a white person in black Africa, then you might as well uh, just run because you, people are going to notice you whether you're walking or running. And so at least if you're running, you, you're gaining some uh, speed. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and if anyone started running after you, that would be like a public declaration that we are going to capture this guy. And it's not, right. a, not a very smart way to kidnap anyone. 
Exactly. Right. Right. So that was that. That's kind of my uh, that was kind of my logic. But anyway, so w- uh, maybe you have a few more things to mention it. But what I want to move on to at some point after you uh, talk about some of the preventative measures is then what to do once you're finally assaulted. But if you had a few more things to mention about preventing kidnapping, let's let's talk about that. Yeah. As you're walking out, make sure you keep an eye on people. Be alert. At times, look over your shoulders. Um, Keep a tab on what's happening around you. Other things, you don't use ATMs at night and you are cautious when you use them even at daytime. You don't stop if anyone addresses you on the street in dodgy areas. And when you walk, you walk facing oncoming traffic so no one can sneak up behind. But you don't walk too close. It shouldn't be easy to stop and just drag you into the car. And then, yeah, there's a bunch of other advice I could add for the case that you are being followed. I mean, there's a lot to say about these things. Um, I remember also when I was in Kinshasa, which is the capital of the DRC, I was walking. It was broad daylight. It was like noon. And there was an, uh, a regular civilian car and three people were in the car, two, uh, t- uh, two guys in the front seat, one guy in the back seat. And they stopped and they said, excuse moi, monsieur, you know, and they says, you know, on est de la police, you know, and they showed me some sort of badge and they said, come over here. And I was like, no, I'm not. I mean, there were several people walking by me, but they were like, no, 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 c'est important, il faut venir. And I was like, uh, no. And then they actually, I was walking the opposite direction as their car and they went in reverse to, um, to kind of like parallel my walking. They went in reverse in traffic, and then they're like, "No, il faut venir." You know, you got to come. And I was like, "No," I just ignored them, and I just kept walking. In fact, I picked up my pace. Um, but in retrospect, of course, this was a perfect kidnapping situation where they were definitely going to get me, um, because of course, if they were really, really police, then they would have like gotten out of the car, chased after me, and you know, and like said, "Hey." But they didn't. They, I just, they never, I never saw them ever again. Exactly, exactly. Obviously, obviously a kidnapping attempt, if you ask me. Yep, yep. Yeah, right, right. Okay, there's a lot more to be said about this, Francis. Um, but uh, you might wish to move on to um, some other subjects. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear more. I just, I just didn't want to take up too much of your time. But I find this subject fascinating, and I'm sure all our listeners do too. So if you have some other preventive... Because in the end, uh, the prevention is potentially the most important thing of all. In order not to get... You know, like that situation I just told you about in Kinshasa... You know, my life would have been completely different had I gotten into that car with those three men. And I avoided that situation just because I was following some of your advice. And so go ahead and, 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 and let's focus on the preventive measures because that is probably the most important thing and the one where you have the most amount of control. Yeah, then you have the question, what do you do if, you're, if you suspect that you're being followed on the street? Uh, it's easy to find out. Um, you can start changing direction. And if the person you suspect does the same, then you know what's going on. So then you have to find something smart to do. That could be entering a shop, uh, preferably with lots of people, not a shoddy, uh, obscure-looking shop, um, and see what happens then. Um, it could be, if you don't get rid of, of the follower, to go into some hotel. You can turn to guards outside a store and explain the situation. 
there are also other things you can do. If there are no people on the street, um, or not many, uh, the moment you see some of this other people, you can turn to them and tell them what's happening and ask if you can stay with them. Um, unless you're extremely lucky, you will then um, be relating to honest people who will take care of you or support you. Um, if you have no such option, the question is, should you wave down a taxi? Um, that is not always safe, particularly for women. I would still say that if you know you're followed and you see no other option, you do that. Um, should you also um, consider hitchhiking? Uh, that could be even more dodgy um, or dangerous. Uh, but still, if that's the only option you have, I think you should look for cars that look safe. Uh, being such things as a car with a family, a diplomatic car, um, car with some uh, official brand, police brand or something like that. And if you need to stop a car, you don't stand there at the roadside with your thumb up in the air. You, you walk out as far as you dare to. And if needed, you hit, you hit the screen of the car, making it, um, making it obvious that you want something and that you have, they have to stop. Otherwise, they will just pass. I would emphasize that definitely most people are quite safe, um, and most cars will be accompanied by people who are quite safe. And so uh, families are good, but any car with a lot of people, the chances that if there's a car with five people in it, that all five of them are criminals is actually kind of low. And this, in this Kinshasa experience that I just had with three people is true. But just to give people a little bit of a sanity check about how honest the world is, <laughs> and, and I'm going to very, I'm going, I'm going to disappoint you gravely here. Your 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 opinion of me, Olaf, is going to plummet. Okay. But I will tell you that when I was in Africa, mm-hmm. guess how many hitchhikers I picked up. <laughs> absolutely no idea take a guess I spent five years in Africa I was driving the whole time okay okay 20 3,000 oh really <laughs> yes 3,000 and so I never had a incident and one time I was in Sierra Leone you'll laugh at this one or you'll cry probably there was four men with machetes and I stopped and picked them up <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, and you were surprised. Now, now th- you were surprised you didn't get an insurance. <laughs> exactly right, right. But anyway, the point of this story is is number is number one to illustrate how incredibly stupid I am. But number two is also how safe the world is because I you know I never had a bad incident where somebody that eventually I got married to a Cameroonian and she would have the stupid habit of leaving her purse in the back seat. And so two or three times people stole her money. We always got the money back, but it was, you know, it's petty theft and that kind of stuff. And I can, but the point is I never had anybody who said, okay, take us where we are. And one of my favorite people to hit, uh, pick up, and I would do it probably one in a hundred hitchhikers, maybe one in every, it were military officers and police officers. I often picked them up and, and that was like free protection. <laughs> but, but there was something to be said about safety in numbers. Like if I saw like three people out on the street and they're all together, you know, like, and they're all disconnected, I would pick up as many hitchhikers as I, as I could because I figured that if there's five people in my car there's probably maybe one who's bad, but he's that one bad guy is not going to do anything when there's four other good guys 
around him. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, there's also this. As long as the first, as long as the first guy is not the bad guy, the one you guys you pick up by yourself. But mm. anyway, so uh, the lesson is is that I just want to kind of like put some perspective on our conversation. We're talking about a world that's a very scary place and a lot of people are always scared and about kidnapping and that kind of stuff. And it is a very real thing that we should be cautious of. At the same time, the world is, uh, let's not exaggerate the fears of how scary the world is. It's, you know, there's a lot of safety out there as well. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But it's also a matter of geography, of course. Um, And it's a matter of gender. I, I wouldn't be very happy if my wife was on the, out on the street and, and I was just hoping to any car with five men. Um, but uh, no, in general, I think, um, global perspective, it's, it's, it's at least much, much safer than, than being chased by some obvious kidnapper or, or assaulter. That we can agree right. Yes. Okay. What what should you do? What should you do? Speaking of assaulted, what should you do once you are getting assaulted and somebody is actually physically trying to throw you into a car or somebody is trying to? I remember one thing that from your book that sticks out into my mind, and my wife would make fun of me because I would often repeat it to her. But um, I, that that if that you try to just collapse, pl- almost play dead, just fall to the ground because it's a lot harder to pick up somebody than to like willingly, you know, walk with them into the room or the car or whatever they're taking you. Um, and then the, the key thing that I remember you mentioning, Olaf, was that you grab the, um, the metal and the parts of the car, wrap your complete arm around, let's say, I don't know, the exhaust pipe or something like that something that's very heavy underneath the car. So, cause it's very hard for somebody to, to pull you from underneath, uh, obviously a parked car. And that, that was such a strong image to me. I thought, yeah, that's brilliant. It, it, it makes it very difficult for anybody to like grab you. And they have to spend a lot of time trying to yank you out of a, underneath a car that you're holding tightly onto. Yeah. I'm glad you like that one. Uh, but, but then we're into specific situations and um, I think we, we need to go back to, the, to a general perspective here. Um, okay. Typical questions when you're assaulted are, should you fight, flee, or obey? And um, there are some, some unfortunate stereotypes out in the market. If you look at, um, uh, what's his name, um, Beer Grills, for instance, um, Right. Uh, he he has ventured into advising people on kidnapping, which I think uh, is not very smart, because he says in general that this is the time to fight, and you have to throw in all your energy to fight in the situation where you are assaulted. Others say the opposite, that you mustn't fight, um, and uh, the only sensible thing is to obey. Uh, you find something like that in... in uh, UN handbooks on security, for instance. Uh, to me, sorry to interrupt you, but it's funny that you mentioned bear grills because speaking of bears, I do a lot of wilderness backpacking, uh-huh. and I've often heard conflicting information regarding how to react when a bear is attacking you. And certain people say that, for example, if a grizzly bear attacks you, you should fight back. If it's a regular brown bear or black bear, you should just play dead or just let them beat you up. And and other people say, no, even a blonde and black player, you should fight back and do something and punch him in the face, especially if he starts getting too aggressive. And and, and on and on. So there's con- there's even dealing with bear, even bear grills probably 
has who knows what he thinks about bears and and how to deal with bears um and so it's 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 interesting that even with kidnapping you've got some conflicting thought patterns as to whether you should fight or 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 just be docile right there is there is and um to me um both these uh, categorical general statements that you should fight or you should obey um are wrong in the sense that you cannot you cannot decide that as a general thing what what you have to do is to make the coolest possible assessment what you have to do is to collect your mind focus on the situation and decide that i'm going to decide what happens now i cannot decide what the kidnappers are doing but i shall keep my cool i shall decide what to do and um yeah i can explain that a little further but um yeah because a lot of this requires just judgment and it's difficult because your instincts might be different than whoever's listening to this podcast instincts yes yes that's right we are we are very different when it comes to handling acute crisis oh and 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 one more thing sorry to interrupt again but i was listening to a podcast yesterday by this guy named gunforts anyway he's a norwegian as well traveled the world twice um you know to every country twice and he was talking about how he was assaulted by somebody and he said he's always told himself that if he's ever assaulted he's just going to hand over the the wallet and just give everything up because there's nothing worth more than his life and he would never fight for his wallet or his phone and he said but the this one time that he was assaulted i forgot where it was he actually instinctively just fought back and by the way the exact same thing happened to me when i was in a dark alley in cameroon in yaoundé the capital there's these i was assaulted being strangled from behind by these two big black dudes who are young and i just instinctively fought back but it's just like so you can tell yourself intellectually i will fight or i will not fight i will do this i will do that but in the in the heat of the moment, your instincts or some sort of other animal drive, your lizard brain takes over and all of a sudden you start doing either smart shit or stupid shit. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just that you shouldn't leave it completely to your reptile brain. You shouldn't at all if you can avoid it. So what, what, right. what, what I tell people when I train them in kidnapping survival is that before you ever get into a situation... Uh, where um, where you get assaulted, you need you need to work a little on yourself. So I suggest sit back, uh, think of a kidnapping situation, think of an assault. It may be something you have read in the papers or heard about recently. Imagine yourself in that situation. Now close your eyes, um, think of all the drama around you, and then make a commitment. I shall take control of my own mind. The kidnappers I cannot influence, but I shall keep control of my own mind. I shall make the decisions that are intelligent and are right for me. Um, some people who have, that I've interviewed, um, particularly one, said that it's it's like it's like creating an inner control room. Um, and you're in there, and no one can touch you there. And that's where the decision-making happens. Um, 
But you need, to, you need to do some thinking about this, and you should repeat it at times. Think about kidnapping situations, any kidnapping situation, and ask yourself, what would I do, what should I do? So that you plug something into your brain that can be drawn upon the day it happens, God forbid. So, right. because what has to happen when you get assaulted, you should not let your, allow your reptile brain to act. Lots of people have got killed that way. Um, what you need to do is exactly what I'm trying to describe to make a considered decision. That could be to fight, it could be to flee, it could be to obey, subject to the situation. It could be where is it, is it realistic to flee to a building nearby, can you beat the guy or the guys who are attacking you, um, or is it totally hopeless? I mean, if you're out in the desert with the 50 Taliban fighters around you, of course you obey. Um, that has to be a concrete assessment, a very fast concrete assessment, but that's what you need to aim at doing. Keep your mind, make a smart assessment. This reminds me a little bit about my life in San Francisco. I was born and raised in San Francisco where we have a propensity to have earthquakes, and I would often just sit in some room, whether it be in a classroom or anywhere, and I would just look around and say, what would I do if there were an earthquake right now? And so I immediately look for the exits, the heavy tables, you know, et cetera. And just, you know, if I'm on the high floor, you know, where's the emergency exit? And I would just do that. Or if I'm in a movie theater, I would look for the emergency exit. And I would just do that because earthquakes happen suddenly. And the same thing, you just have to get into this habit of saying when you're in a dangerous place, ask yourself, okay, if somebody were to kidnap me right now or attempt to kidnap me, where, what would I do? And the more you think about that in your background, in your mind, you don't have to obsess about it. But then you come up with a logical game plan that you follow instantly and instinctively as opposed to instinctively going the wrong direction. Mm, that's right. I mean, in any crisis situation, preparedness can make a huge difference. It, it can be in the matter of life and death, um, it, be it an earthquake, be it a kidnapping, be it uh, any nature disaster. And now for a quick commercial break from our sponsor. Do you want to take a life-changing travel adventure, but you either hate planning or you don't know where to start? Tour Radar is a trusted online marketplace that helps you find, compare, and book multi-day tours that will expand your horizons through life-enriching travel experiences. Just type in a region you've always wanted to visit or your preferred travel style, and Tour Radar will do the rest. And right now, WanderLearn listeners can visit Tour Radar for a chance to win an amazing travel contest. Every month, there's a new contest. Enter to win at tourradar.com slash wanderlearn. And now back to the show. The, the, problem, the problem, Olaf, sometimes I struggle with is that we don't have an obvious parallel universe that we can look into. And so sometimes we look at this post-mortem of a kidnapping story that maybe ended badly. And people say, okay, well, this person fought when he should have just been more passive and, and let the kidnappers have their way, and then he wouldn't have died or whatever. But we don't have a parallel universe to know that, okay, let's say if that same person had just been passive, maybe he would have died some other way or later or whatever, you know, in some other. So in some ways, or, or, or conversely, somebody who there's a happy ending, uh, well, he would, you know, he got away or he was able to do this because of, 
you know, his aggression or because of his lack of aggression. Well, maybe if he had done the opposite, he still would have gotten away because maybe the kidnappers were incompetent and either way he would have gotten away. So without a parallel universe, sometimes these, these situations are a little bit difficult to judge because we don't have a tremendous amount of data points. We do have obviously a lot of kidnapping victims all over the world. And I, and that's, that's why people like you are so useful because you've studied so many different cases, but it really does go by a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Now, it may be impossible to decide whether a kidnapped victim who died um, did the right or the wrong thing. Um, but uh, what we can say is that uh, if you're able to keep your cool, to make the best decision you can, then you have done what's possible. Right. And that's what, you, that's what we need to, need, need to try to do in such situations. Uh, you talked also about the ratio of attackers to victims, things like this. Hmm. Talk a little bit more about that aspect of the assault phase. Yeah, and then we'll and then we'll move on to the transportation phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there are a number of things to be said about fight. In case you decide to fight, um, there are things to be said about fleeing if that's an option, and. Um, yeah, we can we can look a little closer at it. Um, we talk we're talking about fleeing um, or trying to escape, and that yes, it depends on a number of factors, um, and um, obviously you have to you have to assess these factors very quickly. So um, you need to look at the the chances of escaping because the assault phase may be your best chance to get away. Um, right. There, if there are many people getting assaulted, that could make it easier for some to escape. Um, I don't know if you remember the uh, the attack on this oil installation in Amenas in Algeria, uh, where the um, the um, some fifty something people were either attacked or died. I can't remember. It was, or they were kidnapped. Fifty something, right? Right. And, I mean, the kidnappers kept at some stage eight hundred prisoners. Oh, that many. Okay. Yeah. But there were also a lot of people who escaped simply because there were so many that they couldn't control right. any, everyone just like that. So um, the number of, of uh, victims is an issue. And of course, the number of kidnappers. If, if there's a big group of people um, getting assaulted and the assaulters are few, that enhances the chances of getting away. And then you have then you have geography to call it that. I mean, what? How does this look like? I mean, is there a jungle uh, you can run to? Um, is there some tables in the restaurant you can hide behind? Um, could you jump into a river that would take you downstream quickly? You have to look at all such possibilities, and. Um, would there be someone in the house nearby who could save you if you got there? Um, maybe not, but, but all these factors you have to assess very, very quickly. Um, so that's, that's the fleeing issue. But it's also a question, are the kidnappers uh, armed? In, in what way? If so, um, if they have knives, yeah, maybe you can run faster than them. Another thing to, to assess. Um, so it can, be, it can be complex. And it's a heavy demand that you are to make a, an intelligent assessment on the spot, but that's what you have to try to do. Um, then, it's a question of fighting. 
back to Bear Grylls. Yes, there are situations where it makes sense to fight. Um, let's say you're an American getting caught by ISIL in Iraq. Um, it's very likely that they're going to kill you, perhaps in a gruesome way. So even if the chances are next to nil, you might opt to fight. If uh, you're a woman being assaulted by someone you expect to rape you and kill you, you might also opt to fight. Um, if, on the other hand, you're in um, an area, uh, I think there's been much of that in Mexico City, situations where they kidnap a person just to take him or her to the nearest ATM, um, then you will obviously not take big chances in terms of fighting. Um, so that's, that's also, can also be a tricky assessment to make. If you decide to fight, there is a general agreement among everyone who opines on this, that um, then you throw in everything you have. You will, be, you, will, you will have to be as fierce and aggressive as you can and be as vicious as you can. You have to go for any weak spot you can think about like using your knuckles and hitting the throat of the kidnapper, um, using a car key or a pen to attack his eyes, kick his groin, all the most vicious thing you can think of, because it's about your life and you cannot, you cannot take the chance of some kind of, of, uh, of uh, noble art of self-defense. You attack as fiercely as you can. And very often the situation will then be such that you attack and then you run for your life, screaming and shouting, depending on where you are. Right. So, yeah, a tough one. But um, and, and, and by the way, go for the genitals. That's the, the key area, I remember. <laughs> that, is, that, that is one key area, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the other ones, the eyes are pretty weak as well, if you can poke the eyes and that kind of stuff, or the throat. They're weak, and, and your throat, yes, your Adam's apple yeah. is a very, very exposed Sense point. If you get a hard knock there, that can be the end of you. Uh, let's take a quick break just to plug two things. Well, I'll plug your book, first of all, Surviving Kidnappers, Precautions, Influence, and Strategic Tools. It's by Olaf Ofstad, who we're talking to right now. It's available for $9.99 on uh, Kindle uh, on Amazon.com, and you can probably find it other places as well. Um, also, for those who want to go on uh, to win a contest, there's a $1,000 travel credit at tourradar.com slash wanderlearn. This is your chance to win $1,000. Uh, all you got to do is enter at uh, tourradar.com slash wanderlearn. So, Olaf, let's talk about the precautions uh, sorry, the uh, the transportation phase. So let's say, let's assume now that you've been caught. You've been thrown in the car. Usually it's a car, I imagine, but maybe it's a plane but uh, or some other vehicle or boat. But um, let's assume it's a car. Um, what do you do during the transportation phase? You have to obviously pay attention if you can, if they haven't blindfolded you, to see where the hell you're going. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But what if you are blindfolded? Like, what do you do? Like, I mean, obviously, if you're not blindfolded, you pay attention, but they could have thrown you into a trunk of a car and mm. you can't see where you're going. That's right. You have to, and, and you may not even gauge the speed of the car because when you're in a trunk of a car, 
you probably it's it's hard sometimes to know whether you're going at 20 kilometers an hour or 200 well probably 200 is a lot but yeah. anyway but it's sometimes hard to gauge speed right right yeah um it's it's natural to mention one thing related to the assault phase be, be, before we go into the transportation or logistics phase um and uh, that is the point that um, if you decide that there's no point trying to fight or flee then you have to point one show that you cooperate um, and um, then you have to do what is most intelligent to do in that situation meaning you try to make as many and accurate observations as you can as to where are you take note of when is this um, look at the kidnappers is there anything special you can notice there what group it is how does the leader look um, to try to collect as much information about them as you can. Okay, um, I said you have to try to note where you are in case you're absolutely sure of that um, and take note of when this is. Now, let's move on to the transportation phase. Um, again, command number one is stay cool. Uh, if you get blindfolded and um, thrown into into um, a car um, tied up, it may be very easy to to panic. It's essential that you stay cool. You know, on the on one hand, I can imagine some people are listening to this Olaf and say, "Yeah, easy for you to say Olaf because you're sitting there in your comfortable house." It's different. So, how do you deal with it? Some people are just more prone to panic than others. I tend to be a very cool-headed kind of guy, so I can imagine myself being relatively calm, and I know that because I've been assaulted. But what's what do you say to somebody who's like struggles to stay calm? Is there any technique? I mean, because one thing is just telling somebody you got to stay cool and collected, and you're like, but you know, I'm panicking, I'm crying, I'm hysterical, you know, I'm about to die. <laughs> for a lot of people, they just go, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just it's hard. It's easy to say control your emotions, but for many people, it's just not easy. Mm, absolutely. Any tips to help to help those people who are just prone to panicking? Okay. Now, I think that if you have done the exercises, I suggest um, as to um, what you do. When assaulted, that's also going to help you in the next phase. Um, if you have already made the commitment that I'm going to decide what's happening inside my brain and what decisions I make, that is likely to help you. Still, it may be very difficult to stay cool and composed if you're thrown into a car um, blindfolded and, and um, fiercely tied. Um, one thing, one... Um, should try to do if, if you feel the panic is, is coming upon you is to try to breathe as slowly and calmly as you can. Breathing exercises in general has a calming effect and um, that is one of the very few, almost the only thing you can do in that situation. Um, other, than, other than trying to hang on to your control you hang on to determination to stay in control of yourself. But there's no guarantee. I mean, some of us panic much easier than others, and um, that's how it is. But we have simply have to do our best. I think another uh, technique is just to visualize it. We've been talking so much about preparation and just to deal, you know, like I talked about the earthquake situation. I talked about things of just looking for your exits and just visualizing it. And I think that 
it's not fun to visualize being kidnapped and, and there's a million ways to be kidnapped, but the more you think and visualize about it, the day it actually happens, it will be easier to remain calm because presumably you've also visualized being calm about it. Mm, that's right. That's right. You come, you come to a place you recognize, to put it that way. Right. So, yes, absolutely. Now, what about the captivity? I don't know if you want to move on to the captivity phase. Not but, quite. Uh, I mean, there's important okay. things. There are important things to be said about the transportation phase. Um, okay. Because to the extent possible, you should try to collect information that could give you and possible rescuers, uh, if you get in touch with them later, an idea as to where you might be. Um, meaning, uh, you should um, try to, even if you're blindfolded, try to see if there are things you can take note of, such as sounds. Um, would there be a sound from a mosque somewhere? Um, could you notice some sounds from a factory, an airport? Could there be a train? Um, such things. Uh, could there be a particular smell at any stage? All such things one, one should try to take note of. Um, right. And Also, what, direction, what, if you can somehow see where the sun is coming from. Yeah. You might be able to idea of whether yeah. you're going west, yeah, east, south. Yeah, if you're able to, able to see the sun, that, that's, that can help you in mm -hmm. that regard. Or you might just feel the sun. You might feel the sun on your right side of your face. Could be. And so, therefore, you're like, okay, I'm feeling the sun on my right side of my face, therefore, and I know mm -hmm. it's in the afternoon, so therefore, right. you know, right. we're, we're right. going. Yeah, no, I, I've been focusing now on the, the blindfolded um, situation. Um, no, but the, but the point of the sun thing is if you feel just the heat on your right side of your face. You can't see the sun, but you actually just feel the heat of the sun hitting the right side of your body. And therefore, you will know that. And if you assume that it's the afternoon, for example, mm. in that case, mm. uh, you know that you're going south. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so, so that's, that's, uh, that's a good point. Um, otherwise, um, going back to the scene where you are still blindfolded, uh, you should try to notice what kind of surface you're driving on, for instance. Are you driving on a paved road? Uh, could it be cobbled or would it be a dirt road? Try to take note of that. And um, then you have the time. It might be very useful to possible rescuers to know um, how long it took you to drive from the site of, of the assault to the hideout, hideout of the kidnappers. And um, how can you possibly keep track of time? Um, there is, in my mind, one smart way to do that. If you start counting at the moment you are put in the car, um, keep counting at a certain control rhythm, and you count and you count all the way to the kidnapper's hideout. Um, let's say you have reached... 3,436. Now, how can you find out how long that was? It may have seemed like an eternity. Um, at some stage, as a captive, you would probably find the opportunity to check real time. For instance, you um, have reached a rapport with one of the kidnappers that allows you to ask him, what's the time now? And you get to know that, and you start counting, 
at the same speed as you did in the car. And once you've finished um, counting, you turn to him and ask, uh, sorry, what was the time now? And you get that. And uh, the time between the first question and the second is the time to, that took you to get where you are. So that could be useful information. Excellent. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Captivity. Captivity. Now, That's this huge. is the, the tough part. It could last for hours or it could last for years. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's so much to be said about captivity, you know. Um, right. I know. And, and again, this is why I encourage people who really have a f- uh, who are, who are at risk at some point to get kidnapped they should really just get your book for $10 i think it's a, it's a worthwhile insurance policy to just have an idea of what to do and it's something that like for example i read it like a couple of years ago actually and i should just reread it again i certainly will because my next big trip is to go to the west and central asia so therefore the middle east and the gulf states and all that kind of stuff and it's probably and 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 afghanistan i'm going to pakistan you know i'm going to all these places that have a tendency to to like people like me. And so um, I want to reread it. But what would you say, before we get then, I, I don't want to go too deep on the captivity phase because I know there's a lot to be said there, but I think that what about a person who's listening to this and say, Olaf, I'm never going to, I only go to Paris. I'm not going to go to, I'm never going to be kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, if you're convinced that you're never going to be kidnapped, don't read my book. Find something nicer to read. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, the book is for people who believe that they could at some stage be in risk of, of getting kidnapped. Um, be it at home, be it on the travel, um, be it in any, any particular situation in life. And it's a fact that uh, there are lots of kidnappings happening in the world and, and the numbers are rising. So um, I think... There's an epidemic right now going on in Nigeria where all levels of society are getting kidnapped and they're just, it's just becoming this the thing to do. I don't know if you've been following the news in 2020, uh, 2019. That's right. Now, but for, for me, I also have a different take on it because uh, I like to have control of my life. And um, that means that when I'm traveling, I like to feel safe. I like to feel in control. I like to think I know something about how to behave, how to relate to different environments to avoid risk. And uh, another thing, my book also includes, um, as you know, uh, a lot of social psychology, uh, which is about how we influence one another. And uh, that can be useful not only in kidnapping situations, not only in other crisis situations. It's, it's also what you could use as daily life tool when you relate to other people. But um, perhaps I should try to say something about the captivity phase in, in general terms. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we can talk about the Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Since you, yeah. Since you are Norwegian, so you're kind of near Stockholm, kind of, sort of. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Um, when people ask me, what, what is the single most important advice you have regarding the captivity phase, I would say that that is a commitment to life, a commitment to live. Um, 
when people are exposed to the ordeals of kidnapping for a long time, the duress, the physical torment, the agony, the sorrow. Some of them, some people feel shame because they got caught. Um, there are so many ways you could get traumatized and really, really suffer. Um, to stay the race to the other end where you're released, you should have a commitment to live. You should have a decision that I'm going to stay this through and through and I'm going to um, come out as um, one piece with my values intact. And uh, what am I talking about? Um, most of us would have one or more reasons to want to live. It could be that um, you have a spouse that is waiting for you, you have children you want to raise, um, you have planned to travel the world, you have planned to start an organization or get your company up and running. Um, there could be many reasons why life is important to us. And um, when you realize that you are a captive and you're going to be so for some time, you should think these aspects through and make a decision. Because of this or that, I am going to live. I'm going to get out of here alive. And you will revisit that commitment at times. Um, to make sure it stays fresh and alive in you. That way, your chances of surviving are much better. I don't know if you have heard about something called acetylcholine. No. That's a chemical agent that um, emerges in our body uh, when we give up on life. It's, uh, it's, in a way, the opposite of adrenaline. Um, your... Um, Body functions slow down, your pulse, your um, blood pressure, your body functions slow and poorly. And uh, if that sets in, death may not be very far away. So people who give up and people who don't, people who are committed to live, stand very different chances of getting through it. So therefore, and it's interesting because a lot of the same ideas are said to survivalists for wilderness survival. I, again, I've done a lot of backpacking in wilderness survival, no wilderness hikes, and I've heard of stories, kind of uh, of all the people who've who've been in grave situations, whether they've had to resort to cannibalism and that kind of stuff. And those who survived were the ones indeed that had this fierce fight for wanting to live. And I think that's what, and so it seems like that same type of adrenaline and love for life and resisting this kind of despondent defeatist attitude that can ultimately kill you, that you need uh, to have that for wilderness survival, you need the same type of mentality for kidnapping. Yeah, I had a sad experience the other day. Um, I met a... Um relative of my wife, an elderly man, um, who had had a surgery some time back. And, and um, after the surgery, he somehow lost his appetite and he had some other physical problems, but nothing that should kill him. But when I met him, he, he looked like a living dead. He was so skinny, it was scary. And uh, the expression of his face was, uh, was equally scary. 
So uh, I said to my wife, he is dying. And I felt strongly that he had given up on life. And sure enough, three days later, we got the message he was dead. So yes, I think we're talking about something that is very, very essential in a survival perspective. Now let's talk about the um, the uh, Oslo syndrome. I mean, the Stockholm syndrome. Okay, okay. Um, I would like to mention, though, that before we move on to that, that uh, perhaps the most important part of my book, or at least the part that um, differs most from what otherwise exists of literature in the market, is the is the um, captivity phase and what you can do to increase your chances of surviving, being the practical precautions, what you do on a daily basis, alone and in a group, be it the um, mental perspectives and what you can do to avoid trauma, and not the least, what kind of influence you can exert to influence the kidnappers to your advantage, which, which is an absolutely crucial element. But uh, we, can't, we can't go through everything here today, so shall we look at the Stockholm Syndrome? Oslo Syndrome. Oslo syndrome. <laughs> yes. Well, you're from Norway, right? We can't talk about the Star- Stockholm syndrome. Uh, Maybe the Norwegians have like a uh, a special syndrome. The uh, the syndrome the the Swedes can keep, I think. We're not after that. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, so you can talk about why it's called Stockholm syndrome to begin with, as uh, a famous kidnapping case. Written. Right. Right. This was a bank robbery that happened um, in Stockholm. Um, where um, the robbers um, got kind of um, tricked to stay too long in the, in, in the bank till the police came, so you got this standoff. Um, forgive me if I don't remember all the details. Um, it's a long time since I have read about this now, but the essence of it is that uh, some of the hostages got so influenced by the kidnappers that they took their side and started considering the police as their enemies. And uh, Patty that, Hearst. Do you know the case of Patty Hearst? Yes, yes, of course. Um, and, and so this that, happened that, that in happened, the 1970s. That happened later on. Sure, but it's, the I think, a similar idea. I think she was also influenced by her kidnappers to the oh, point yes. that she willingly went in there oh, yes. and robbed banks on their behalf. I mean, she's a dramatic example of, of the Stockholm Syndrome. I mean, not only not only was she influenced, as you know, she joined them and committed robberies afterwards. Right. So, right. so that was an extreme. And 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 she was a a uh, the daughter of a very wealthy man. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, now, um, so the the um, the aspect we are looking at is that um, victims get so closely attached to the kidnappers that they get influenced by their attitudes and their values. So when released, if released, they may come out different persons. Now, there are trainers and researchers who say that um, this doesn't matter so much. The thing is to get out of there alive. So if establishing a rapport with the kidnappers means that you get into the Stockholm Syndrome, it really doesn't matter that much. Uh, This is something with which I strongly uh, disagree. Um, If you are a group, 
you might experience that some members of the group get into this syndrome, others not. And uh, you could get into very, very dangerous developments. Um, for instance, there was a case I learned about um, in Africa. It was a ship, Marida Margarita, I think it was, uh, which was kept by Somalian pirates for seven months. Um, they had a situation where the, they had gradually built up a fairly okay rapport with the kidnappers. Uh, the officers had bluffed to the kidnappers about the amount of oil on board. Uh, the reason for that was that they needed a good amount of oil to keep the functions of the ship alive, and they needed oil for the day they would be released so they could sail out of there. Now, some of the crew got so close to the kidnappers that they went behind the officers' back and, and told the kidnappers that uh, these officers are lying. There is much more oil there than, than what they have told you. Um, the consequence was that some of the officers were severely tortured by the kidnappers. And, of course, all they, what they had built up, the relationship they had built up, was uh, gone like that. Uh, what more, these, um, these syndrome hit uh, crew guys, they said to the kidnappers that you should demand much more <laughs> ransom because this ship owner is rich. So this is just uh, one gross example um, of what, what the Stockholm syndrome can lead to if there's a group of people. Uh, you find some aspects of it in other books too, like uh, uh, Ingrid Betancourt's book, for instance, uh, this politician who was captured by FARC and kept in the jungle for six and a half years. Um, there were some serious conflicts between, between the uh, captives there, and apparently much because of various degrees of the Stockholm Syndrome. I was just going to say that it, it's it's very difficult at the same time because you want to establish a rapport and get some sort of sympathy and have a relationship with the with the captors because it's going to benefit you by either getting you you know better food, better quality medicine and other things to help you survive as well as maybe them not negotiating as hard you know in, in other words getting you getting them to feel a little bit more sympathy but then on the other hand in the process of doing that you might fall victim and fall you know, fault get some sympathy for them and their cause. That's right. And how do you avoid that? Right. Well, my my recommendation is that once you realize that you're a captive, you're going to be there for quite some time, you shall make a commitment. You shall take a little assessment of yourself, if you like. Who am I? What values do I stand for? How do I differ from, from the kidnappers? And you commit to yourself that you're going to stay that way. This is my, these are my values. This is how I shall remain. And this is a commitment you shall revisit with time and take a good hard look at yourself to make sure that you're not sliding into something else. If you are there with a group of um, victims, you might discuss this with them, this 
aspect, this possible challenge, and try to agree that this, this is how we relate to it. You can also discuss your values with intervals and compare them with the kidnappers to make sure that you stay together, united in this view, sticking to the values you came into the captivity with. That's my advice. Excellent, excellent advice. And did you see the movie The Dawn Wall? Have you heard of it? No, I don't think so. It's a climbing movie, a rock climbing movie, and it, it's a fantastic movie. It was kind of overshadowed when that a movie by, God, I'm blanking out on the other guy's name, but anyway, the other famous guy who went up, free, called Free Silo, that went up um, El Capitan. But anyway, Don Wall and is this guy who went with a group of people, and they were, I think, in Pakistan, but I can't remember exactly where, somewhere in the in Asia, and they were kidnapped. And at one point, they were there for days, and, and the way they they got out of it is at one moment there was only one kidnapper looking over them with a gun, and the guy literally, one of the captives, pushed the guy off of the mountain and figured he killed him, but it was only until like a year or two later he found out he actually hadn't killed him. He just, I guess, broke his bones and all this other stuff on the fall. But it's a fantastic movie, um, but there was that one segment, and it, and he suffered tremendously from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so... What do you deal with that? Let's just talk about the ending. Like, okay, now you've been released. You're out of the society. Getting your life back, not suffering from PTSD. What is your mm. take on that? Because you talk about that in the book as well. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm not talking that much about it in the book. Um, that uh, is because one of my, my main customers when I wrote this book, the Norwegian Army, they, they didn't want that kind of chapter. Um, they thought they had full control of such things. Um, maybe I should have included it, but what I decided to do was to write an article instead. Um, I ploughed through a bunch of literature on the subject and found that um, it was quite limited in the sense that people who don't get into proper therapy, they don't have much support, not much relevant advice to to that can, can help them back, to take their life back. Um, so I wrote this article that I put on our website, uh, kidnappingsurvival.com, which I think I called uh, Recovery After Kidnapping. So um, that's, I think it's 18 pages. Um, other books that I found about self-help, there would be um, some 150, 200 pages. So what I wrote was meant for people who don't get the professional support that they need. Uh, there are lots of such people. Um, but if we are to talk about it now, um, it will be difficult to go into this in much detail. Um, I That's fine. Yeah. What we can do, we can, we can use this as an excuse to get people to connect with you and to go to that website. Can you repeat the website name again? Is it Surviving Kidnappers? Yeah, Surviving um, surviving Kidnappers, yes. No, hold on. Surviving no, 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 Kidnappers. What, what am I saying? Um, <laughs> kidnapping Survival. I think it's Kidnapping, kidnapping survival. survival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so Kid, that's confusing because your book... Kidnappingsurvival.com. 
kidnappingsurvival.com, but the book is called Surviving Kidnappers. That's right. So, That's right. So we have to, so kidnappingsurvival.com to find out about this article about PTSD and probably some other things and links, uh, probably links to your book to survivingkidnappers.com. I really encourage uh, listeners to go buy the book. It's $10. Uh, even though you may not think you're going to be kidnapped, it's a relatively short book. It's 200 pages or it's less than 200 pages, but it's so densely packed with information. There's not any fluff at all. There's not any bullshit. It's all real, practical advice, very easily digested. And so that's why it's such a it's a it's a useful book. And if nothing else, it helps an author. And I always love to to help authors because I know as an author myself how hard it is to sell books and to make a living off of it. So even if you are living in India, but you know, it's <laughs> that's only part of the year. The other time you're living in the most expensive place on the planet, Oslo. Yeah, no, otherwise on on this um thank you for for your nice words about my book. Um otherwise about um PTSD. Um there's some some general advice you can can give. Um, if you come out of a kidnapping ordeal, um, you should absolutely accept or seek a briefing uh, with some person who has been trained for that. Um, start talking about what happened, and um, start relieving some of what you have normally packed up inside. Um, during such a situation, you might also find out whether you need therapy or not. Um, if you are living in a uh, reasonably developed country, you would normally be offered therapy. Some people reject that. They think they are too tough to, to suffer any kind of trauma. Um, I strongly recommend anyone who has been through a kidnapping experience to at least take one hour with a therapist, talk through the whole thing and find out, uh, is there anything here we should follow up on? Or did you come out totally scot-free? Uh, few of us do that if, if it's been a tough, long ordeal. Um, so um, and if, if we come out with a trauma, it's, it's very important to get the therapy started as early as possible. What happens when we get these traumas is that we, we face some kind of an earthquake. It's an earthquake in the brain um, where neuron uh, connections change and you get new pathway, pathways in the brain that um, affect um, perceptions of a lot of situations um, resulting in lack of control of, of lots of thoughts and emotions. And uh, people might feel that they're going crazy. Whereas what is, what is happening is that um, um, their trauma experiences um, are a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. But when it's there, it needs to be taken very, very seriously. And if one does, um, there is a lot of, of, of hope in, in proper therapy. Um, if we disregard it, uh, we could be stuck in a very bad situation for a very long time. I don't know if you noticed and then, that... Uh, and then in the kidnappers have won. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you noted that um, after the attack on the Bataclan Theatre in Paris, um, there were, I think there were 130 people killed, but one year later, one of the victims committed suicide. 
apparently someone who couldn't bear the outcome of of the terrible deal that person had been through. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's it's definitely it's uh, it, what goes back and over and over again in your book and the theme about kidnapping. So much of this is psychology. Mm. So much of it is psychology. It's mm. incredible. And so it's 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 a big mind game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you could tell me that. Yeah. Great. Well, Olaf, I really appreciate your time and and for informing us about uh surviving kidnapping. I will s- certainly uh reread your book before I go to the Middle East and to um, Central Asia because that will be useful. But for anybody who goes out in that area, definitely worth checking out. Also to remind the listeners to go to, uh, if you want to win a $1,000 travel credit, go to wander, uh, sorry, tourradar.com slash wanderlearn to get your chance to win $1,000 in travel credits. It's a great, uh, great contest to, to join. And Olaf, I wish you the best. Uh, I know you're writing your book, uh, fiction book is coming out uh, maybe next year or after that uh, hopefully yes. uh, tell us a, t- give us a little tease uh, is kidnapping featuring in the fiction book no there's no kidnapping there I, I have another book draft that I've just started on in parallel and, and that's a kidnapping story um, but uh, no the first one um, I'm working on hoping to complete in not too long that's um, that's different that's a love story come drama if you like Okay. Totally different story. Well, maybe we'll catch you on that one. Again, thank you again, Olaf, for your your time and and for your insight and advice. And I hope everybody out there stays safe. And I also want to, I mean, want to leave on a positive note. I kind of alluded to it earlier, even though uh, Olaf and I are getting down and dirty as far as the negative possibilities in the world. I want to still leave on a positive note, which is the world is a safe place in general. And even the quote-unquote scary places, and I can say this with certainty, having gone to South Sudan, Somalia, Libya, and all sorts of other places that are, are kind of sketchy areas, that and, and having done so and survived. Now, yes, I could have been lucky, but it's hard to be lucky five years in a row nonstop without the world being somewhat somewhat of a good place. You know, it's hard to be pick 3,000 hitchhikers and, and be. So it's important to, to, to be prepared. And, and to prepare for the worst, but it's also important not to be scared of the world and to be afraid and not wanting to step out of your house because you're afraid of bad things happening to you, including kidnapping. So you have to, the best way to, to deal with it is to be prepared and then go out there with courage. And definitely, I would never want to discourage anybody from exploring the world, even the places that seem from the outside to be scary, because oftentimes they're the most rewarding places of all. And that concludes this episode of the WanderLearn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to WanderLearn.com and click on this episode. Tour Radar sponsored this episode and is also sponsoring an amazing travel contest for the WanderLearn audience. Every month, enter to win a new Tour Radar contest for a chance to win a life-changing travel adventure. To toss your name into the hat, just go to tourradar.com slash wanderlearn. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. 
ftapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one more reason to remember ftapon. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now, five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, don't forget to download it. Three, share it. Four, review it. And then five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is France Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.